Bible with you or a phone where you can look up the Bible passage. We're looking today at Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. Luke is one of the uh, books of the Bible that, of course, tells us the life story of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we're in a, in, a, in a part of Luke's gospel which is coming towards the time when Jesus will go to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And verse 22 says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, Are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Please keep your Bible open at that passage. I wonder if you uh, have ever heard of the Miracle Mile. The Miracle Mile was the name given to a race in 1954 between Roger Bannister uh, from England, of course, and the Australian athlete John Landy. And the situation, as you probably already know, is that Bannister was the first man to run the four-minute mile. And after that, not long after that, John Landy uh, broke the, uh, the record that Bannister had set by running it just a few milliseconds faster. And uh, so it was set for a showdown between the two of them at the Empire Games at Vancouver. And uh, as the race started, John Landy took the lead, and he took a big lead. He took 15 yards into the lead. And Bannister was looking at him, thinking, this guy is amazing. (laughs) He was watching his style. He said he seems so relaxed. He's hardly, he's just like shuffling along. And uh, he has no tension in him at all. And he was really trying hard to keep up. But Bannister did well, and he said, in my mind, what I saw was an invisible rope between me and Landy. And he said, I was trying to pull myself on that rope towards him, trying to close the distance. And each lap, he managed to close the distance a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it went on like that until it came to the last bend on the race. 
And John Landy, the Australian, as he was racing towards the finishing line, he was plagued by one thought. Where's Bannister? Where's Bannister? And he had to turn around, and you can see in that picture there, uh, his head turned. He turned around on the inside to see where Bannister was. And as he did that, Bannister took confidence. He said, he doesn't know, I'm about to beat him. And he went round him on the outside. And Bannister overtook him and won the race. In short, Landy lost that race because he was more concerned about other people someone else than he was himself winning the race and I use that as an introduction today because that's what is happening here in this Bible passage the Lord Jesus Christ is on his way to Jerusalem having come down from Galilee in the north of Israel and he's in an area which we know as Perea it's actually on the other side of the Jordan you can see it there uh, in red And it's where lots of Jews settled in that area. There's a big Jewish community on the other side of the Jordan there. And this is where uh, we read in the Bible that there was Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing and people like that. So uh, it was a place where Christ went uh, towards the end of his ministry. He was on his way to Jerusalem in Judea, but he was in this area of Perea. And as he's traveling through the cities and villages, someone comes up to him and asks him a question. say Lord are only a few people going to be saved it was an intriguing question see Christ in the in the previous verses had just given the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast in the dough which I believe is about the corruption of the church of God and uh, with the false teaching coming in like the yeast spreading through the whole batch of dough yeast is always a picture of false doctrine in scripture and uh, and and it was a warning parable and the man was left wondering well what does that mean then does that mean that not many are going to be saved and he asked the Lord Jesus this question and the simple answer wasn't given now the simple answer would have been to said no not a few there's going to be many saved in fact later on the Lord Jesus says in verse 29 people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God they're going to come from all over the world Isaiah 53 tells us that Christ will see the travail of his soul the cost of his suffering on the cross and he will be satisfied Spurgeon said how much does it take to satisfy the Lord of glory not just a few people, many people will be saved. And Revelation 7 fills out that detail with a number that no man on earth can number. But Christ doesn't give the simple answer. Instead, Christ turns the attention back on the questioner. And in verse uh, 24, he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. And he goes on down to verse 30. And it's as if he is saying to the man, don't worry about others. Don't be distracted about others. Focus on your salvation. Never mind whether there's many or few going to be saved. Make sure you are saved. That is the most important thing. David Jeremiah in his study Bible says, Jesus instructed the man to stop wondering about them and be, conscious, and be concerned about himself. 
The commentator Matthew Henry says, many are more inquisitive who shall be saved and who not than respecting what they shall do to be saved. And that's a warning for us. We need to focus on our salvation as a priority as well. You see, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ has provided salvation through his death on the cross, which he was going to accomplish at Calvary after uh, this in the later chapters of Luke. And when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for your and mine. The things we've done wrong that would shut us out of heaven and condemn us before a holy God. And Jesus died to provide salvation for whosoever will take it. For God so loved the world that... He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And it's provided big enough and strong enough to save every man and woman, boy and child. All we have to do is to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. The Bible says in in Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We're not saved by trying, we're saved by trusting It's not by our achieving, it's by believing. It's resting on Christ's finished work rather than trying to achieve my work. You see, salvation is not a reward for the guilt, it's not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. And if you qualify as a guilty sinner, you're able to come to the Lord Jesus and put your trust in him, say, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me my sins. I put my trust in what you have done on the cross for me. We need to be saved by believing in Christ and then be concerned about others, helping them to salvation too. And that's why I want to think about this passage this morning, because uh, we don't want to make that same mistake. We need to make sure that we are saved. You know, if you go to Ireland, you can see the oldest church in Ireland, which is St. Nicholas's Church in Galloway. And this church has a a tall steeple which can be seen out at sea. And in the olden days, this church was used as a navigation tool for ships to get them safely into harbour. And I thought of that a lot. I thought, you know what, that's what the true church should be. It should be a way of helping people get into the safety in the harbour of heaven, get into, into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so they are saved. And that's why today we're going to be looking at this very important thing. And I want us to focus on our salvation because as the Lord Jesus will show us in this passage, because of its difficulty, because of its urgency and because of its opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity as we see here. So let's see these three things. First of all, because of its difficulty, we need to focus on our own salvation because of its difficulty. If you look in verse 24 again, Jesus said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. I'm one of those weirdos who's quite interested in doors. Okay, and uh, this is the world's biggest door. It's actually the bank vault door uh, to the Federal Reserve Bank in Cleveland. And uh, it's 18 feet high and 10 inches. It weighs 94,000 pounds and is held by the largest hinge in history. It's a huge door. Uh, And 
it's a, a massive door to be able to get big things in and out. It reminds me of a, a thing I read in Reader's Digest. Uh, Terry Dennis wrote to the letters page and he said, my son who works in a DIY superstore was helping a couple buy a new door for their home. After he asked the man what size they needed, he stumped the stumped husband shouted right across the shop to his wife in the electrical department. Darling, come over here and see which one of these doors you can fit through. <laughs> Out of way with his women. So there's big doors. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was going to die on the cross, he was going to open the door of heaven and he was going to open it wide so sinners could come to him. But Jesus says... Although it's open wide, it is a narrow door. Now, what was Christ talking about here? Some people make the mistake of confusing this with the parable of the narrow gate in the Sermon on the Mount. But that parable, you'll notice, leads on to the road that leads to life. But Jesus in this parable doesn't say it leads on to the road. It leads into the house. This is the door to the house. And uh, in the ancient Jewish world, uh, houses would have a narrow door like this one, which was on the street entrance. And people could come into their house uh, uh, through this main door. They would have a bigger door for putting wagons in and, uh, and cattle and things like that. But uh, this was the narrow door on the house. And as a general rule, this door stayed open through the whole day. And they closed it at night, as we'll talk about later. But uh, these doors made of sycamore, uh, unless you were very rich and you could afford cedar doors, these doors were kept deliberately to the size of one person. And Christ says coming to him is like that. We must enter through the narrow door. He has opened wide the door of opportunity. But he says it's a narrow door and because of that many will try to enter and not be able to. Now what is he talking about here? Because this sounds a bit confusing. Uh, You know, when, when I'm preaching the gospel, one of the things I love to tell people is that the gospel is so simple. (laughs) And it is. It's simply beautiful because it's beautifully simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You don't have to pass an exam. You don't have to clock up a number of hours like the Jehovah's Witnesses doing door knocking or anything like that. You just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him and you're saved. It's simple. But for some people, it is difficult to take that simple step. And that's the point the Lord Jesus is making. One quick example. You remember the Lord Jesus had the rich young ruler come to him. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And Christ challenged him uh, about how sincere he was and about giving his money to the poor. And he went away. And the Lord Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That man found it difficult, didn't it, to do that easy thing of trusting in Christ and following him. And there is a difficulty for many people about becoming a Christian. Salvation is simple, but for some people it is difficult to take that simple step. Sometimes the problem is distraction. Sometimes the problem is distraction. I came across this testimony in an old copy of a a Billy Graham magazine. And uh, it's by a, a man by the name of Kenneth Sear. 
And he told this about the time when, as a young soldier, he went to the Billy Graham campaign meetings at Haringey. Billy Graham, for those of you who are younger, was a famous American preacher who came to this country. He said, as I walked into Haringey Arena in 1954, the huge banner behind the choir caught my eye. For the first time in my life, words of scripture lit up to me. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The message ran and my attention was held. But not so for my companion, a fellow soldier, who insisted on leaving before Billy Graham spoke. Reluctantly, I left with him. And you see that man there? He was captivated. This, this was what he, what he wanted, what he was interested in, what he needed. But his friend was distracted. Come on, let's go, let's go. And he was drawn away by distraction. You know, that's, a, that's what can often be used uh, to keep people out of the kingdom of God. And beware of things that will distract you. For the rich young ruler, it was his riches and his money. For you, it may be something else. Be careful of things that can distract you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people, it's the devil who keeps them away. You know, in Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim is described as coming to the narrow gate. And as he comes up to the gate, there's thump, 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 thump into the door. As arrow after arrow is aimed at him and hits into the door. And it's come from a castle nearby, which is held by Beelzebub, the devil. And he fires his arrows at anybody trying to get through that door. What's John Bunyan telling us? He said, if you, if you start making tracks towards Jesus, the devil's got his eye to try and stop you. People get hardships suddenly come along. A relationship goes wrong. Something goes wrong in their life. Uh, and it's like, oh, ever since I came into Christianity or was interested in Christianity, everything's gone wrong for me and I'm going to back away because it's hard. The devil will make it difficult for you to take that simple step. So be aware of his devices. Not only that, some people find depravity holds them. And because of that, they find it hard to become Christians. Do you know, in India, you'll see elephants tied up to little sticks. And owners of elephants will use small sticks. And you think to yourself, how on earth does that work? Because, you know, that elephant could just walk away and pull that thing out of the ground. And the fact is that when an elephant is a baby, they tie its little leg to a stump and the elephant tries to pull it. And at that stage, it's not strong enough to pull it out of the ground. And because it faces the resistance, it soon gives up. And it grows up with this attachment. And it's used to it, so it's always tied and doesn't go away. You know, the devil likes to do that with sins in our life. And he likes to use depravity sometimes to keep us back. We think, well, I I can't become a Christian because if I do, then I'll have to give up my sin. There's a very revealing comment by the humanist Aldous Huxley in his book, Ends and Means. Huxley was one of the people who, uh, with Darwin, was uh, responsible for the evolution teaching and uh, atheism in our world rising in in the last century and before and he said this I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning for myself as no doubt for most of my contemporaries the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation the liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from a certain system of morality 
We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. You want to know why they held on to those unbelieving things? Because it meant that they could carry on sinning without any trouble to their conscience. They were captives to depravity. If you're captive to depravity, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He can help you with that. And as he paid for your sin, as, as the hymn writer said, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. He has the power to do that. But some are also held back by danger. You know, persecution is a great reality. And in many countries, the Christians have to tell people when they're preaching the gospel, if you become a Christian, you will go to prison. But come to Jesus and be saved from your sins. Or if you become a Christian, you will almost certainly die. But still come to Jesus and then you'll go to heaven. They have to do that. But, you know, for many people, when they hear that, they say, oh, no, I'm going to back away. I don't want that. Even in John's gospel, we read about those who would come to Jesus, but they they were scared of being thrown out of the synagogue. And so they didn't come. John chapter 12. Danger often holds people back. And we could go on with this list, couldn't we? You know, there are so many things that people find makes it difficult to take that simple step of becoming a Christian. In fact, we could end up like the disciples in Matthew chapter 19 who held their hands up to the Lord Jesus and said, well, Lord, who then can be saved? And the Lord in his glorious infinite wisdom said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And he can still save the lost. But that's one of the reasons why we must focus on our salvation because of its difficulty. It is like entering through a narrow gate. Let me tell you something. It's easy to go to hell. You can go to hell without any striving. But Jesus says make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. Strive to get through. Wesley said barely seeking will not avail. Scroggy said no one can slip through. All must strive. Make sure you're focused and diligent and pursue salvation until you are saved. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ and call on him. Don't let anything else stand in the way. Second reason why we must make our salvation our focus is because of its urgency. And this is what comes out in verse 25 through to 28. In verse 25, he extends this parable of the door and he says, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. In the uh, Jewish world, the house door, if you were in a village, was always kept open. It was a mark of hospitality. It was open from sunrise to sunset. Now, the way that they kept this safe was often one of the family members, or if you were richer, you could employ somebody to sit in the doorway. And anybody who came to the house, uh, they would see the family member or see the person sitting in the doorway And they would say, do you want this person to come in? Do you want to speak to them or not? And they would be a a go-between. But the idea was to extend hospitality. The door was open. And in fact, the Lord Jesus uses that image in Revelation chapter 3. He says to the church, see, I set before you an open door. And it's it's Christ's open door uh, that is uh, uh, symbolized uh, in that parable. But at the end of the day, Because of thieves and robbers and just like you and me, 
They had to close the door. And remember, in that country, there was no official police force. So what they did was they closed the door and they barred the door and they did not open it until the next day. That's why in one of the other parables the Lord Jesus said about the man who came knocking on the door of his friend at night. He said, give me some bread because my friends have come to visit me. And uh, the friend says, no, I've gone to bed, go away. (laughs) And not opening the door. And uh, this is, uh, was their practice. And Jesus said that this is what's going to happen at the end of time. God's door of salvation opportunity will not stay open forever. There is a time coming when God will close the door and you won't be able to be saved. It will be too late. You say, God would never do a thing like that. My friend, God has already done it. Reading your Bible, Genesis chapter 7, with Noah's building the ark, and when Noah and his family went in, it says, and the Lord shut him in. You know, Noah didn't shut the door on the ark. God did. He shut Noah in to keep him safe. But the opportunity of entering the ark for everyone else was then closed. In Matthew 25, the Lord Jesus said the same thing in the parable of the, of the ten bridesmaids. And he said about how they went, the five went in and the door was shut. And that is symbolic of the fact that the day of grace will one day close and the opportunity for being saved will be closed. And so we must act now while we have opportunity. And the Lord Jesus said that on that day, he said, many people will say to him, sir, Open the door for us. And they will stand there knocking and pleading, saying, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus tells us here something that I want you to take in. I guarantee you, every single person on this planet And I'm going to narrow it right down. Every single person in this room will one day cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation. And will one day cry out to the Lord for mercy. Every one of us. The difference is this. You will either do it before the day of grace closes or you'll do it afterwards. But every single one of us will be crying out to the Lord one day, save me Lord. And that's what this parable teaches. And the Lord would say to, to, to people after the opportunity closed, when the day of judgment comes, he'll say, I don't know you or where you come from. You see, they, they had no relationship with him. I don't know you. And that's what it means to be a Christian, is to have a relationship, to know him. I had a lady in our church, in our first church, and she, her testimony, she gave a testimony beautifully. She said, I always believed in God. She said, but I never realized you could know him. You see, there's a difference. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally as your saviour. Well, for these people, Christ will say, I don't know you, or where you come from. In other words, your location won't make a difference. People who lived in Jerusalem felt they had the special ear of God. And Jesus is saying, doesn't make any difference to me. You're not going to get into heaven just because you're born in Jerusalem, or you come from Jerusalem. I don't know you, or where you came from. And they will try and wrangle with him. Verse 26. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. 
They will appeal to the fact they ate and drank with him because in the ancient world to have a meal with someone was like a, a, almost a covenant relationships forming. It was a significant thing. And perhaps it was they're thinking about the fact we had Passover together and things like that. But you know what? Although there is contact, contact isn't the same as connection. And Jesus said, I don't know you. And that'll be the same. You know, people will stand on the day of judgment and say, but Lord, I had communion. I ate and drank with you at the Lord's table. And to some, he'll say, I never knew you. Communion won't save you. You need to know the Lord as your saviour. And we need to seek him. It's so urgent. It's so urgent. Because as that door is closed, the kingdom will begin with the, with the result uh, of those being left out uh, and others being drawn in. Verse 28, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves, and I love the way that's put, you yourselves will be thrown out. What a warning that was to the Jewish people of that day and what a warning it is for us. You know, I, I read uh, a lot of missionary magazines and I came across uh, a magazine by the uh, London City Mission and they had testimonies in it of people who were going to work for the London City Mission, uh, which is a Christian organisation helping people uh, evangelistically in the London area. And uh, one of them was from a lady called Rebecca Pascal. And in her brief testimony, she said this, I grew up in Wimborne, Dorset, in a Christian home and was 13 when God switched on the light for me to see something of my sin and his holiness. And I want to tell you, that's the important thing. You need to see your sin and his holiness if you want to be saved. Because you need to realise you need to be saved from your sins uh, because you stand before a holy God. But she, answered, she went on to say this, and I, I think this was amazing. She said, I realised that becoming a Christian wasn't something that could wait. It was urgent that I get right with God. And I want to say, dear friends, it is urgent that each one of us gets right with God. And if you've not yet done so, come to him now. Put your trust in him now. Even this morning, while you're here in church or at home on Zoom, pray, Lord, forgive me. Save me from my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. It's urgent that you do so. Every one of us will cry out to the Lord. Spurgeon said this, There are some who will not think of going to heaven till it is too late. When they might have had the blessing, they would not have it. And when they cannot have it, they grow earnest in crying for it. And that's how it will be. So take the opportunity God gives you now. You know, one of the things I've noticed in life is when we want to, we humans are pretty good at moving when we want to. I love uh, Bob Hope. He's one of my uh, favourite comedians from the past. I read a book about him as I've bored the congregation with for uh, the last few months. And uh, in the late 1960s, he was in Vietnam at a place called Long Bin, where he was putting a, a a concert on for the troops, the American troops out there. And he was coming towards the finale and he was getting ready to give the cue for his, his, his famous song, Thanks for the Memory. And uh, he was about to begin and uh, a colonel came up to him. He said, are you going to be long? 
And Bob said in his book, he said, that was the coolest question I've been asked, he said, since I was in Vaudeville. He said, you know, people saying, are you going to be long, you know? Uh, and he said, he said, he felt a bit offended, you know, just coming to the climax of the show. And uh, he said, well, you know, I'm going to be a, a little bit more, yeah. And he said, why? What's the problem? And the colonel said, it's just that there's a firefight about six or seven miles away from here, and it's moving in fast. It's fierce. Do you know what Bob Hope said? He said this, that did it. We were out of there in 15 minutes flat. I was worried about the girls, of course. (laughs) But you know what? When he wanted to, he could move. And that's how it should be with you and me. Do you feel the urgency? Come to Christ now. Stop making excuses. Stop being distracted. Turn to the Lord and be saved while you can. It's an urgent matter, becoming a Christian. And then finally, we need to focus on our salvation because of its opportunity. Verse 29 to 30, the Lord Jesus said, People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. If you go to New York Uh, and go to Times Square, you'll see the church which was started by the famous American preacher David Wilkinson. And David Wilkinson was famous for working with the gangs in New York and leading gang members, very dangerous people, to Christ. And uh, he saw a church formed at Times Square. And uh, Times Square Church uh, is is still going strong and, and as far as I can tell, it is still a sound Bible teaching church to this day. It's a wonderful work. But you know what they call it? They call it the church at the crossroads of the world. Because every New Year's Eve, the whole world goes where? Times Square (laughs) to see the new year in. And that church is there uh, at the place where everybody comes. He says it's the church, they say it's the church at the crossroads of the world. And there's something about that which is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that If you look at it, people will come to him from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Geographically, people are going to be drawn from all over the world to Christ. It's not just a Jewish thing. There's Gentile people from all over the world, Jewish people from all over the diaspora, and that verse actually may be a partial quotation from Isaiah 43, where, Christ, uh, where Isaiah uses those same uh, coordinates for the regathering of Israel in the last days. But people are going to come, going to come to Christ from all over the world. And the church is a global body. Billy Graham said that when he went to a Russian circus once, he could see this man who was watching him. And when he went out afterwards, this man was shadowing him. And he thought, this guy's with the KGB. He said, I'm really... And uh, they're a little turning around the corner and the man cornered him. And he said, are you Billy Graham? And Billy Graham nervously said, yes. He said, I just want to shake your hands. (laughs) He said, I'm a fellow believer. (laughs) All over the world, God has his people. And they're coming to Christ. And all through history... Indeed, verse 30, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. That's talking about the length and breadth of history. And Christ is saying that throughout the end, right up to the end, to the last days, 
there are those who will come. And the church of Jesus Christ is part of something that is global and something that is historical. It's as wide as the world and as long as history itself. What a privilege to belong to such a thing as that. The mighty work of God throughout all the world and through all time. And God is giving you the opportunity to take a place at the kingdom feast with the Lord Jesus when he comes again at his second coming, if you want to take it. But you know what? Some people will look at it and say, well, I've got a right to be there because I'm local. And that's what Christ was warning these people. Just because you're from Jerusalem, don't think you have priority place. They're going to come from all over the world. Some people are going to say, well, I have priority place because I knew him. Jesus said there's going to be those who are last, those who are going to be converted in the last days, who will be at the front of the queue. And those like Judas Iscariot, who were a part of the twelve, who will be out. Think of that. And this is the opportunity that is possible to be missed by people for such a blessing. So don't throw that opportunity away. Focus on your own salvation because of its difficulty, because of its urgency, and because of its opportunity. God is giving you an opportunity to go to heaven and have a place with him. I hope this touches your heart and you will take it, to, take it seriously and respond. The great preacher George Whitfield was once staying in the house of a very wealthy man and he saw all these things but he saw no sign of the man's spiritual life and knowing the Lord as his own saviour. And he had to go but before he go he left he left a bit of graffiti behind in the man's house. He got something sharp and he engraved on the window one thing is needed. One thing is needed. A quotation from Luke chapter 10. And I want to tell you, dear friends, that's Christ's message to us. One thing is needed. Salvation. Come to Christ if you haven't yet done so. Remember, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's simple. But it can be difficult. So come. It's urgent. Come now. Now is the time, not tomorrow. And it's an opportunity. Too good to miss. I pray God will help each and every one of us to come. We're going to